This is Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. Hey, thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon as we broadcast you all over Tampa Bay on AM 57910 and FM 102.1, but also out there on letstalkfaith.com and iHeartRadio. However you're hearing us today, maybe you're listening to a rebroadcast or a podcast, just know that we've prayed for you. We've prayed for our own direction, that the conversation we have today is led by God's Holy Spirit, that it lies within me and the guest today, but that you would be moved to do a better job, to be led by the Spirit to do a great job of connecting with you on Sunday with what you do in your nine to five. And it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, truth. We're told by the world today that truth is fluid. That truth is what it is to you, but maybe not to me. Truth is something solid, but something not something solid, but something squishy and mushy and feels good, but it really can't be relied on. But I know the truth and he set me free. For decades now, we have allowed God to be removed from the discourse of this nation and the discourse of this world. As Christ followers, we've taken a backseat in conversations of influence and merely find ourselves reacting to cultural change instead of being part of the cultural change. How do we change that? How do we bring back God into, how do we bring God back into every conversation? Today, we welcome radio talk show host, Carmen LaBerge. She's back on I Work For Him. No, that's right. We never got to actually have you on I Work For Him, but I feel like we did because we spent time in studio before. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's the host of a daily radio program broadcast across the country called The Reconnect with Carmen LaBerge, where she focuses on bringing God back into every conversation of everyday news and events. Carmen LaBerge, welcome. Die work hey brand. Jim, thank you so much. Oh, I just I'm, I'm I've been excited about this interview. I'm very excited because I, when we got to meet in Tampa, when you were filling in uh, for a local show host here in Tampa Bay, I just loved your passion for this. And that was back when your book was not quite printed yet. And then I got a copy of your book and I read it and I'm like, ah, I love this. We have got to do a conversation about this. So, as I do with every new guest that comes on I Work for Him, I always want to kind of hear a little bit about their faith story. But I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in and, and just go right to the question on how does the I Work for Him message resonate with you, to you? Well, Jim, I, I guess I hope the I Work for Him message resonates with every Christian who recognizes that there there really is no um, no barrier, no real barrier between what we do in worship on Sunday morning, um, what we do in Bible study or fellowship or small groups when we are in the company of other Christians, um, when we are m- mindfully engaged in Christian service, and literally everything else we do. So whether I'm, you know, cleaning the house or cooking dinner or buying groceries um, or picking up kids or engaged in whatever my day-to-day work is. And for me, that's, you know, that's writing and uh, seeking to genuinely connect uh, the eternal with the everyday and help people make those connections in their own conversations. Uh, But it wouldn't matter if I was um, a kindergarten teacher uh, or a taxi driver or an Uber driver. Like, I would still be doing what I do in terms of uh, hey, God actually cares about what's going on in everybody's life, in every situation, in every conversation. And it's my role and responsibility as a Christian, regardless of my vocation, uh, to be God's ambassador uh, in that moment. And so for me, 
this is a this is a moment by moment reality. Uh, they're not. Uh, your life is not segmented into the sacred and the secular, the the, the time with God and the time you know that's my time, uh, or uh, or even vocation and vacation. Like in my view, it's all God's. I mean, God says over all creation, this is mine. God says over every human life, this is mine. The question is whether or not we respond to Him and say, yes, yes, Father, I am yours. Um, use me as you will. So that's how I resonate with the with the I work for him message is that, I mean, I do work for him. I live for him. I'd be dead in my sins without him. Uh, and so it's his spirit that animates my life. It's his mind that I'm seeking to cultivate. Uh, and moment by moment, I'm I desire, I don't always get this right. I mean, like, I'm still a sinner, like, in desperate need of God's help. <laughs> Good to know. But, Good to know. But, um, but in every moment, I really am seeking to cooperate with the Holy Spirit at work within me and say, you know, God, I recognize that there are these unconverted parts of myself. Go ahead and work on that. Like, I will, I, I yield to you. So that's how I resonate with your message. It is regardless of what we're engaged in, we are God's person in that situation, in that moment for his good pleasure. I love that. And and today, as we talk about your brand new book, Speak the Truth, how to bring God back into every conversation, every conversation. I want to ask this question. I want you to give yourself a little bit of a plug. You're a radio talk show host like myself. You've got, but your format is very, very different. Talk about what you're doing on a daily basis on the radio and where you're doing it. So, um, so the the easiest way for people to get it is to go to reconnectwithcarmen.com because then no matter where you live, you can access it. Um, and so we're on live stations, but not in the markets with you know the people that we're currently you and I are currently talking to in the Tampa Bay area. Although we would love for that reality. Uh, but we have people listening on our podcast all over the country. So yeah. tell the cities that you're in. Yeah, so um, so right now um, we're in Washington, D.C. and Orlando, Florida. We're in parts of Michigan and Texas and Arkansas and Alaska. Um, there are 450 cities across the country that hear a, a one-minute commentary called Reconnect One. Um, and so... The one hour, which I think is what you're, um, you know, you're most familiar with, we literally get up at about four in the morning and we start scanning the headlines of the day. Um, and then what I'm doing is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking two or three subject matter things that are clearly on the front page above the fold that will be the content of the cultural conversation of the day. The talking heads of the media will be focused on those issues. And what I do is bring the Christian worldview to bear on those headlines. Um, I'm trying to equip everyday Christians to be prepared for the conversations of the day that are happening in the culture and to actually be God's ambassador in those conversations. There's not one subject matter out there in the headlines that is not a God-related issue. I love that. I love it. And that's why I prayed with you as we went on the air. I want your show to be in every city across the nation because people need to hear what you're talking about. And, and it... Understanding, just getting equipped to be able to bring God back into every conversation and how to do it. Most of us are just so fearful, so afraid to even start it. But I just wanted people to know, you know, what you spend a lot of time doing every day. I love what you're doing. And, you know, we're in radio and, and it's good to highlight, hey, here's what somebody else is doing in radio. I think it's fantastic. All right. So your book is about truth, speaking the truth. In fact, speak the truth, how to bring God back into every conversation by Carmen LaBerge. That's the name of the book. How... What prompted you to write this book? Why? Why did you write this book? 
you know, we have a really divided um, nation. We have lots of division in almost every arena. Um, we even have divisions between arenas that we can't, I mean, like, you know, who would ever have thought that, like, football and politics would find themselves in a, a point of opposition. But we can find things to disagree about in this country uh, just ad nauseum. So there is one point of consensus um, that I have been able to discover uh, among people who believe in Jesus and people who don't, and that is something is wrong. Something is wrong. Like, everybody can agree this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so Christians recognize that we actually have the answer to what is wrong. We actually know the one who is right and righteous. Um, we, we recognize falsehood and lies, and we recognize that there is a father of lies, and he's seeking to work deception into the lives of people, that he is actively seeking division um, between our heart and mind, between us and God, between me and you, between, uh, between you and I and other people. So uh, there's something wrong. Christians can identify it. We're just, we are just for whatever reason, seemingly completely afraid to, uh, to speak that truth winsomely into the culture of the day. And I think that um, once I sort of recognized that, okay, I, I was once uh, more timid than I am now about these things, I was also once angry. There was, a, there was in my heart an anger toward people who didn't get it, who didn't see it, who didn't embrace the gospel, who didn't, you know, sort of recognize that, you know, Jesus has already answered the problems of what is wrong, and so, you know, you guys need to get with it. Well, at one point, Jim, I mean, God really worked in my heart and mind and, and even helped me see the whole thing differently. And so when I recognize that, hey, this transition that I've made in my own life from anger to empathy, from, um, from being angry at people to recognizing that they have now been born and raised in a culture um, where their exposure to the gospel uh, is, is either inauthentic or it is um, it's insufficient. So they've either gotten a false gospel or they've gotten the gospel um, you know, it always comes through hypocrites because we can't help that. We're, uh, you know, we're notably broken and we continue to be. But the church itself has not helped in many, many cases. That is so true. We're talking today about truth. Really learning to speak the truth. How to bring God back in every conversation. Well, that's the name of a book written by Carmen LaBerge, fellow radio talk show host out of so many different areas in our great country. You can check out Carmen online at reconnectwithcarmen.com, reconnectwithcarmen.com, and that's with a C, not a K. It's not a Carmen Gia, it's Carmen the person, reconnectwithcarmen.com. Carmen LaBerge, welcome back to I Work For Him. Hey, Jim, thanks so much. All right, so you, re- I mean, I agree with you on this, but you believe that God belongs in the middle of every conversation, that we should be intentional in bringing God into every conversation. Why do you think this is not happening? So I think there's two primary reasons. I think that Christians do not recognize ourselves as the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, and we also think that somebody else will do it. It's somebody else's job. So there's been a professionalization um, of all kinds of things, including missionary work, and so we imagine that that's somebody else's responsibility and not our own. Um, that's just not true. So the Great Commission is given to everyone. Uh, it's every every Christian's responsibility to not only know Christ, but to make him known to others. Um, and so we're deployed as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as people who know the king into the kingdoms of this world in order that other people might come to know uh, who God is and what the kingdom of heaven is like and be invited into it. So 
I think that we um, we don't recognize who we are as ambassadors, and that's really what disciples are, and that's what discipleship is about. Um, and then I think that you know we we think someone else is going to do it, and so I'm I'm here to say someone else is not going to do it. You are the someone who has been called to do it. Well, and I think people, maybe they've figured that out by now, because after 50 years of expecting somebody else to do it, they realized, wow, nobody did it. And, and, here, exactly we, right. and here we sit today, here we sit today going, shoot, we kind of messed up on that deal. But we all, we know we serve a powerful God and we serve a God who came to restore all things and redeem all things. And so this too can be fixed if we start to talk about it. Okay, so engaging people, when engaging people in conversation, what's the difference between giving people a piece of our mind versus giving them the peace of the mind of Christ? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's no, uh, there's no shortage of opinion, and there's no shortage, <laughs> a, a shortage of commentators. Um, there's no shortage of the way I see it um, in terms of uh, the cultural conversations of the day. But there's, there's a huge... Um, uh, paucity, a, a lack uh, of truth. And that means that um, the way God sees it, God's perspective, the eternal perspective on this given moment and, uh, and my life in it, uh, people don't, don't see that. They don't know that. They aren't exposed to that. And so Christians, um, I believe, Need to uh, need to not be tempted and drawn into uh, sort of the needless controversies of the day, and instead we need to be the people who are bearing a distinctively Christian witness um, on every cultural conversation, uh, because we need to be sharing literally the peace. P-E-A-C-E, the peace of the mind of Christ that's so lacking in people's lives, not just giving people a piece of our mind. Well, and let's, can we give it, can we give an example of this? Because this is, we get bombarded with nuclear-sized weapons full of rhetoric every day, whether it's on social media or the news on TV or the radio. I mean, it's it's rhetoric, it's political discourse, it's rhetoric, I mean, good Cotton-picking grief. It's so ridiculously awful. Give us an idea of what this looks like with one of our current, you know, one of the the, the deal, something, we're, <laughs> how about a current topic of conversation? Not necessarily from today, but, you know, when you look at the year, something, a topic of conversation that you can show, hey, let's give them a piece of Christ instead of a piece of our mind. Sure. Well, let's take a very contemporary one. Um, and, you know, this is, both of these debates are ongoing debates and conversations in our culture. So recently, um, the D.C. Circuit Court um, reversed the lower court's decision and mandated that the federal government provide transportation to an undocumented pregnant teenager. So she's here from a foreign country. She's here illegally. She's pregnant, 16 weeks pregnant, notably, um, and was demanding an abortion. Well, You've got the abortion issue and debate. You've got the issue of a minor, an unaccompanied minor in the country. You have the issue of immigration. I mean, this is this has got every um, every social issue that is like hot and testy. Um, and so, could I give people an opinion about that and give people peace of my mind? Absolutely. What does it look like? to offer a distinctively Christian view on that conversation. Well, I think, Jim, it starts by our simply saying in the context of a heated debate, because these tend to be pretty heated conversations that happen in the culture. And so in the midst of that heated debate, my primary concern as a Christian would be to pray for that young woman. Now, how is the conversation turned instantly 
if what I say is, you know, people say, well, what do you think about it? And I say, well, before I tell you what I think about it, I'm letting you know that this is one of those pray the news situations for me. Like, I recognize this is so sad. This, this is a young person's life opportunities clearly in a place where she was living and whatever her home life was, she's no longer in the context of her family. Let's just imagine for a moment that, first of all, we're a teenager and we fled our own family and our own country to try to get to a place where we thought we could have a better life. And along the way, we got pregnant. Now, by choice or by force, we don't know, but that's almost irrelevant. Like, here's a young woman who is uh, carrying a baby that she, she recognizes and knows she cannot care for. What does it look like for the church to come around that kind of a person? Now, that, that gets the church into the conversation about immigration. It gets us into the, into the conversation about foster care. Um, it gets us um, because she would have required a foster family um, in order for both she and her child to be raised in this country. It's just a very, very complicated issue. But as Christians, I can distinctively bring the peace of the mind of Christ to that conversation by focusing on life. Focusing that on, on the fact that the issue of life is so much greater than just my concern for the pre-born. I also have to have a really great concern for the flourishing of human beings in every nation under heaven. Um, and so that would be an example of probably uh, turning a conversation, reframing a conversation, leading a conversation in the direction of prayer and concern um, for the individual, moving it down from this, a very, very heated conversation um, about, uh, about abortion. But I'll tell you, Jim, the thing that broke my heart most in the coverage of this subject was almost every single paper that, that ran stories on this. They talked about um, the fact that what had come to end was a weeks-long court battle. Okay, that's not what came to an end when that woman had an abortion. What came to an end was a human life and the possibility of that human life. And so... There are conversations in our culture that Christians absolutely need to be stepping forward and stepping into because people, they honestly no longer even see that child as a child. They are very much only focused on the political issues surrounding um, the undocumented teenage uh, immigrant. You did that so awesome. I could listen to you every day. Right, oh, so, man, I talk every day. So I know, I know, but you're on kind of the same time I'm on. So it's really hard for me to listen to you. All right, so let's let's talk about, I mean, I love that. And, and every day you're dealing with issues like that in your radio program, aren't you? Yeah, that's exactly right. I just love that. All right, so in your book, as I read your book, and I really liked the book, I really liked, you got me engaged and you said some things and you taught me some things that I had no idea. I mean, I just, it gave me a new perspective, which I really appreciate. You mentioned in your book that until the word of God is restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, (laughs) that was a statement, the church cannot take her rightful place in the life of the culture. I'll let you explain what you mean by that. Well, this is actually a really good year to have this conversation because there is, um, you know, there is at least a culture-wide conversation about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So what I'm pointing to in our culture is actually very, very similar to what Luther was pointing to in his day. Um, The Word of God, the Bible, uh, is no longer um, honored and regarded in many churches in this country, let alone in the lives of individuals in our cultural conversation. But it's not even regarded in many churches in this country as the very Word of God. And so I think we need a rediscovery of the Word of God, much like Luther rediscovered it 500 years ago, and put it into the hands of lay people. I think that if, um, unless and until 
the people of God, all of us, not just the pastor on Sunday morning serving out some tidbit, but each and every one of us actually saturating our lives with the Word of God. Until that happens, the Word of God won't be restored in the life of the church. Because because we won't insist upon it from the pews to the pulpit that hey that's not what that's not what God says and that's not an, uh, uh, an accurate representation of who God is nor what He has promised until we are in that position as lay people to be able to um, actually speak the truth in the context of the church. There's no way that the church is going to have the kind of cultural influence and impact that um, that God has raised her up to have. So um, part of this conversation goes to what am I actually filling my life with? Another way to ask it is what, what are you full of? I mean, I get accused of being full of stuff all the time. So when, um, when, when people say that, what I want them to be thinking to themselves is she's full of the Word of God or she's full of the Spirit of God. That's when right. She gets, right? When we get pressured, when we get squeezed, when we get tempted, what comes out? All right, Carmen, I love this book. I love there's so much stuff in here. I want to cover it all, but we can't because we're so limited by time. You have this chapter that made me giggle out loud. And I don't giggle easily but because I take things way too seriously sometimes. But you've had this whole chapter called The Miss Pageant. Kind of counteracting fake news. You talk about misnomer, misinformation, mischaracterization, misunderstood, misguided, misdirected. Uh, misled and finally misrepresentation how do we you know what do we do when we meet these misses on the street well first of all so your listeners will understand what we're talking about um imagine literally a beauty pageant so you know these are like i i and i see these pageant contestants they're actually imposters they are um they are really not um authentically uh, representing the truth of who God is, but we are very attracted to them, uh, and and we are drawn to them, uh, and they they vie for our attention and our affection and even our allegiance in the culture today. Every generation has their own set of imposters. I think that misnomer, um, maybe just to describe her quickly, um, uh, is the one that sort of the absolutely right out right out of the shotgun, the easiest to understand because we all fall into this. We all use God's name in ways that are casual and even profane, um, and yet we don't uh, we don't really recognize that in our culture um, because it happens so frequently. And we live in a culture that has so profaned the name of God that we don't actually see it. We certainly don't call each other out on it as Christians. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to turn people into um, uh, the the language police out there in the culture, but I but I am seeking to um, heighten our own internal awareness uh, when it happens. And so if in a text message or on a billboard or in, you know, in, in something that I'm hearing on, on television, somebody uses the, uh, the three-letter OMG, right? Now, in most cases, they're not using that uh, to honor the Lord our God. And so they are, at some level, taking God's name in vain. They are, in, at some level, profaning the name of God. And God is actually fiercely fiercely interested in his name. Um, and it's something even the Bible talks about him being jealous for his name. 
and and he wants to do things for his name's sake. I mean, there's a lot of name conversation uh, in the Bible when it comes to who God is. God's name is so sacred that the Jews wouldn't even speak it. It was known as the ineffable tetemogram. So we say Yahweh um, as Christians. Jews would not even, they wouldn't even say that. Like that would just, that, that would be profaning the name. You just wouldn't do that. So when it happens in the culture, when people, you know, say GD or they say OMG, we could march down the list. What, what is my reaction and response? My reaction and response needs to be a very quick uh, acknowledgement to God himself. So I'm doing this in my mind in, a, in an unspoken prayer, right? And I'm saying, God, I saw it and I heard it. I saw it and I heard it. I'm acknowledging, I'm acknowledging that I know as your person that I caught that. I am, and I am sorry. I am, I am, I am sorry on behalf of the culture of which I'm a part that your name is so casually misused. Miss Nomer, on the other hand, is very actively seeking to engage, particularly the next generation, in openly and actively profaning the name of God. Uh, and so I think we got to call Miss Nomer out every time uh, we encounter her. But I think that oftentimes the call out for us as Christians is to God, acknowledging to Him that we recognize that His name is being used casually or profanely uh, in the culture of which we are a part. And really, you go through the rest of the chapter and you talk about misinformation and mischaracterization and misunderstood and misguided and misdirected and misrepresentation and uh, their little disciple misled. It's so important that we understand these concepts because we need to, the, the, the source of our truth has got to be the holy scriptures of God that are spoken by God into the hearts of over 40 men, over 1,500 years in three different countries. I mean, that's got to be the source of our truth. And, and when we go to other sources, that's when we end up in one of those categories, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, people are sort of familiar with the concept of a culture war, and they imagine that the culture war is taking place in some arena that they're not in. They they imagine that the culture war is taking place in academia or in the media or in the political sphere. The, The actual culture war is being waged in every heart and mind. And so the culture war is being waged over our kids and over our parents and over our neighbors and over us. And so um, I don't think that we can suggest that we are immune or safe or, um, or moving forward and cultivating you know, our, our own sort of small Christian culture in the midst of a larger, uh, a larger culture. No, we are the culture cultivators. And so we need to be people who are possessed by the mind of Christ in such a way. We've actually so thoroughly cultivated the mind of Christ on the matters of the day that we can literally, on his behalf, as his representatives, speak the mind of Christ into a culture that is dying to know the way and the truth and the life. And getting to know the way and the truth and the life. that That's really... When you really talk about this, as we talked today with Carmen LaBerge about her book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back in Every Conversation. And, and I just encourage you to check out Carmen online, reconnectwithcarmen.com. You can find out where she's broadcasting. You can find out more about her, reconnectwithcarmen.com. But get a copy of this book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. But it's about truth. In your book, Speak the Truth, you mentioned several times that Jesus didn't speak to issues. Jesus spoke to people. What's the difference? Well, I think that if people, if your listeners just consider that sentence, like what does it mean to address a person instead of addressing an issue? If we just pause even for a moment and consider that, 
our entire cultural engagement changes. Um, and so when, I, uh, when I'm encountering a person who I recognize is presenting um, a view of the world and therefore advocacy on issues that's completely, utterly contrary to, uh, to God's revealed word and, and who God is and who we are as his image bearers, um, I, I literally, I allow myself to see that person as a prisoner of war. I mean, I, I like seek to have God's actual perspective on the status of that human soul. And, and they are trapped. And so um, I'm not angry at a prisoner of war. That's the wrong affect. The right affect is to, uh, is to be empathetic toward them, to, to actually pity them. Now, I will just recognize here that um, most of the folks who are the cultural elites of our day um, don't really appreciate pity. They don't really want to be pitied by those of us who they think don't actually know much. But here's the reality. They are seeing reality, and they are advocating for a reality that's actually a lie. And so if I see the truth, I'm obligated, I'm absolutely obligated to share uh, the truth with other people, even, even those who are trapped um, in the context of a lie. So, um, you know, so getting directly uh, to your question, how did Jesus do it? Jesus, first of all, you know, he had the eyes of the Father on everyone. And he also had an eternal perspective. Did he live in the midst of the temporal world? Absolutely. Did he confront uh, the same issues that we confront and face every day? Yes, absolutely. But he dealt with people. He absolutely dealt with people. Um, he met them where they were. The walk to Emmaus is a good example here, or the woman at the well. Um, he met people where they were. He allowed them to, um, you know, express uh, what was on their own heart and mind, and then he reframed the conversation from an eternal perspective. You and I, as the fishers of men, one of the ways to think about that is that we're supposed to be anglers. So are you looking for an angle into every conversation based on the people involved in the conversation in order that you can represent the viewpoint of God uh, to people today? That's our calling. That's what we're in the world to do. Where do we get training like that, though? I mean, that's, I mean, your book is a great place to start. Speak the truth, how to bring God back in every conversation. But this is one of those things where you really need to practice. It's a practicing thing. Where did you learn to be so good at it? Hmm. So um, I think that the, the practicing thing is exactly right. Um, and I would challenge people even just to, um, you know, if you're a person who actually gets a physical newspaper or has access to one, I mean, you can, you can go into like any coffee shop and they've got a whole stack of newspapers that other people have already purchased and you can just grab and read. So um, just actually pick up the newspaper and go to every section. Don't just stick with one section and say, okay, what's God's perspective on what's being talked about in this section of the paper? What's God's perspective on the obituaries? What's God's perspective on, um, on the comics? What's God's perspective on the front page or the international section? And there's a lot of places, Jim, where the best we can do is to pray, pray the news. Um, but if I'm praying the news, my perspective on the people engaged in that story is completely transformed. I no longer see them as an issue either here or halfway around the world that needs to be solved or funded or bailed out. I see them as people um, who, you know, for whom God sent Jesus Christ. And that changes my perspective on, um, on the way that I talk about and even seek to engage uh, in, in, in bringing relief and peace and hope uh, to each and every one of those situations. We're talking with Carmen LaBerge, host of Reconnect with Carmen. You should check her out online, reconnectwithcarmen.com. That's reconnectwithcarmen.com. She wrote a book. It's just out. It's hot. 
the, the, the pages still smell like amazing ink. Speak the truth, how to bring God back into every conversation. And, and Carmen, what I love is in chapter 10, you start telling some stories of people you've had conversations with. And I want to start with you sharing the story of Rick and Elmer. Yeah, so Rick and Elmer um, are guys who I met um, at the rescue mission in Washington, D.C. Um, I was uh, at a, an evangelical leaders meeting that was actually taking place at the rescue mission. And so um, I got there a little early, and I had my I was going to go from there to the airport. So I got out of the cab, and I have my coffee and my suitcase and my briefcase. And, you know, I've got way too many things in my hand, um, and I'm early. And so instead of going inside to hang out with the people that I was going to be with the suits that I was going to be with all day, I thought, well, I'll just sit out here with these guys and have a cup of coffee. And um, needless to say, um, at first, that was just not quite what they um, had in mind or expected. And that would be one of the things I would encourage your listeners to do, surprise people. Like, be the, be the Christian who actually surprises people by engaging them in conversations. Um, and so... I, you know, I asked, hey, can I, you know, sit down with you guys and have coffee? And they were, um, you know, they were very gracious. And, um, and, and as I sat down, uh, Elmer actually folded the newspaper that they had had open on the table. And he folded it in front of him. And I said, oh, you know, no, don't let me interrupt your conversation. What are you guys talking about? And he unfolded it. And uh, this was in the midst of the presidential campaign. And he said, well, we're talking about him. And that would be Donald Trump. And let's just say that both of these guys had lots of thoughts and opinions about uh, the politics of the United States, and certainly as residents of D.C., issues that uh, that others across the country might not just initially think about. As the conversation unfolded, um, and I made the unthinking comment about voting, um, I became instantly aware that these are guys who are not going to vote. Um, they are ex-cons, and, um, and they don't have a restored right to vote, even though they've paid their debt to society for, uh, you know, for whatever crimes they committed in the past. And so um, that led us into an entirely different conversation about incarceration and the reality of the justice system and, um, and their experience of the justice system versus mine, um, black men in the culture versus you know, a, a, a white woman. Um, and so uh, as we talked, um, there was this one piercing moment when, um, when Elmer is sharing about how um, you know, he became a Christian when he was when he was incarcerated. He, these are both men of faith. They probably know the Bible better than most of us. They've had a lot of time to, to soak in it. They've had a lot of time to, um, to really consider the reality of redemption uh, and, um, and how effective it is. These are men of peace in terms of their own personalities, but these are also men completely on the sidelines of, of every part of the culture today. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, uh, you know, the world changed a lot when I was on the inside, and he, was, and he was incarcerated for 12 years. And he said, but the world gives me no credit for all the ways that I changed. Mm. And I just think, Jim, that um, the conversations that we need to be having as Christians go so far beyond the conversations that we are having now um, that we bear responsibility for the coarseness and the division in the culture because we're not actually being the ministers of reconciliation that we're called to be. 
And so, uh, you know, a, a thoroughgoing reform of the justice system and certainly dealing with the racial issues in our country, these are things that Christians need to be on the forefront of. We need a distinctively Christian revolution in this country uh, that actually begins to change the hearts and minds of people in order that we can bring real change to the culture. Yeah, and that train change is not going to, it's not going to be legislated. It's going to be a movement of God in the hearts and minds of Christ followers. And, and that's something that people need to realize. Politicians are not our saviors. And, and But so many people think that's what it is. I mean, and you talk issues all day long, but you never once say, hey, and by the way, this person's our savior. It, it just isn't that way. That's exactly right. But it's hard because we like to get caught up in it. And, and honestly, as I'm learning, and I'm, this is my only two cents I would put in here, what I'm learning about the differences in the, in the cultures that I have grown up in that I had no idea... There, there's a lot of things that me as a white 50 year old man, I just don't know the truth about the things that other people that I share a country with have suffered. There are a lot of truths that I don't know and I'm learning them and I don't like it. So I, I, and that's the kind of truth we need to, we need to understand, but in order to be able to understand our brothers and sisters who aren't walking the same path we are, we have to really get in their shoes and ask questions and that's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable. I mean, I, you know, I, this is uh, the, the, the conversation about uh, Christians experiencing persecution around the world, and my responsibility as a person who can influence that, can actively influence that by being a part of a nation whose foreign policy um, hugely affects the experiences that they are having. Um, uh, you know, I, we we have a responsibility as a free people. We're we. Um, we enjoy freedoms, that, not just the freedom of religion, but you and I have great freedoms because we're Americans who are Christians. Uh, and, and I think we've got some kingdom responsibility there as well. So this is a, this is a conversation that literally reaches into every conversation, um, every context. Uh, there's no issue out there in the culture today that God is not interested in uh, and upon which he does not have a perspective. And so, you know, we're just trying to bring that to bear. Well, And you've been given a gift, Carmen, to be able to see that truth and to be able to help communicate that truth in a way that is that is peaceful. And we all need to learn from you. I mean, there's there's a lot. Of, I mean, I'm hoping that someday your radio audience is well, I can't be zillions, but I was going to, you know, I mean, huge that we as Christ followers can learn from you how to engage our culture uh, because you've been given a real gift to see through the muck, to see the truth and to be able to then communicate in that truth, the truth of the gospel of Christ. And, and, and that, that's a gift. Well, Jim, um, I, uh, your listeners, who some of whom are in the Tampa Bay area, I mean, I grew up in Tampa Bay, and um, I went to Plant High School, and Young Life was a very um, influential ministry in my life. And Kathy Connor was my Young Life leader, and she's still in ministry in Tampa. Um, but Kathy, when I, when I reached the place where I recognized what God had done for me in Jesus Christ, and I made... Um, made the offer of my life to him. I mean, if you'll take it, if you'll take it, if you'll solve all that's wrong with it, you can have it, because I certainly couldn't. I certainly couldn't deal with all of the things that were broken and wrong. Um, and I did not know, um, which now, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in jest, I did not know that you could withhold some things and that's, that's really the way I feel like some people are operating. They're operating oh, as if they have accepted Jesus, um, 
to pay their penalty of, of sin and death, but they have not enthroned him as the Lord of life. They haven't actually given him their life to live. Um, I didn't withhold anything. I wouldn't know how to operate as a Christian part-time or only in a partial way. Um, and so I actually think that what I have, other people can have too. You just have to die, literally die to yourself. It's a Galatians 2.20 life, and let me tell you, it is it's exhilarating. Hey, really quick, we've got a couple minutes left. Can you tell the story of Sarah? Oh, sure. Um, now, because I changed everybody's name. Okay, I gotta, so... No, 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 start... that's good. So, yeah, so um, I met Sarah um, at church, and um, um, Sarah is young, and like a lot of young Christian women, um, thought she was going to be married and was kind of fixated on that, um, kind of obsessed with uh, obsessed with that subject matter. Um, and um, the Lord led me into a, a series of conversations with her that finally resulted in, literally over the back of the pew, me just, I mean, eyeballing her straight up and just saying, stop, stop, stop. Like, you're so obsessed with whoever this latest man is that you have completely forgotten who you are and, and that you are a redeemed child of God, that you are in a relationship with God, that you are um, an image bearer. Um, you're, you know, you're so fixated on all these other things. So anyway, once I got her to stop and actually consider what was on her mind um, and to recognize that we'd been through a, a worship service where she couldn't remember what the sermon was about, like, it's, we're still in the sanctuary. Like, your mind is clearly on other things um, if at the end of the service you can't even remember what the sermon was about. So we started literally from there on a, on a conversation about trust and about the future um, and about what, uh, what life might look like if she would simply allow herself to focus and fixate on her own relationship with God and what he was doing instead of fixating on the possibility of a relationship with another man. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I really do think that we have to be bold in our conversations with one another as Christians, uh, and we also have to be um, both gentle and yet truthful in our conversations with the culture about the same subjects. Carmen LaBerge, it's been such an honor to have you on. A fellow radio talk show host out of Washington, D.C. and Orlando and all over on the Internet, Carmen LaBerge, thanks for sharing your book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back in Every Conversation. Thanks for being an I Work for Him today. I work for him, too. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. All right, make sure you check out Carmen online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Reconnectwithcarmen.com and get a copy of her book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, 